Testing on the mic. Testing one, two. Oh my, we are live. Good to see everyone. Here we go. Move the mic closer. How you guys doing? Oh my, good to have you back. Yeah. You can hear this okay. How about everybody in the back? Good to see everyone. I'm not sure. I've never known how important that thing is that sits on the top there. <laughs> what does that do? Is that like a mask of... What does it do? I have this thing that... I'm not going to touch it. I have that thing that's there, and then I also have this, I guess, an MP3 recorder. Recording everything that uh, you say can be will. No, I'm just kidding. It's not going to happen. Well, great to have you here. Excited to, to see you all. Just real quick, I need to get a sense of, of what is going on here. So first things first, who's new to LMC, relatively new to LMC, relatively new? Kind of just first couple weeks or whatever the case. Yeah, okay. Hey, welcome. Good to have you with us. Uh, who's at Concordia? Who's at Concordia? Who's not at Concordia? Student, current student not at Concordia. Okay. All right. Very nice. Okay, um, so one thing's uh, kind of important out of the gate, and that is I'm not Pastor Larson. Uh, my name's Dr. Brian German. I teach up at Concordia. I actually happen to be on sabbatical right now for an entire academic year, which is really weird. I still think tomorrow morning there's a group of students in some classroom at like 7.30, 30 of them just waiting for me to, you know. <laughs> but no, that's not the case. They've assured me that all these classes are taken care of. Um, and so it's a little bit different. You won't see me on campus as much if you go to Concordia, but I do teach there. I've been there seven years and uh, a good biblical seven, hence the sabbatical for, for a little while. Um, so I'm very blessed to be there. I also teach there with my, my colleague here. Uh, you'll see another guy walking around in a collar here. It's Dr. Jason Lane. He's been teaching for eight years. He's their year ahead of me and uh, does a lot of teaching in what? All sorts of things. Systematics, dogmatics, uh, think like Lutheran confessions, what we believe, teach, confess, think law and gospel, uh, but also Christian faith and just a number of other things. Uh, so good to be with you. We are, I guess, according to the bulletin, assisting pastors or something like that. I'm not sure how that happened, but... Um, <laughs> We used to, on and off, you might see us in the, in the divine service assisting with the sacrament or readings or what, what have you, or doing things like this. This is a study of, of Genesis. As Pastor mentioned, we're going to rotate a little bit. You'll have me uh, on occasion. You'll have Pastor Larson on occasion. Dr. Lane will jump in uh, here and there, and it'll just be kind of a, of a spread of this wonderful text, book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. It's a big text, 50 chapters is plenty for even a whole academic year. We have about 25, 27 weeks uh, to meet together after you take out potlucks or whatever else, congregational meetings and Christmas stuff and all these things. So, um, so there's plenty here. There's plenty, and we're going to take a look at what I have kind of considered to be some of the most influential texts from Genesis throughout the history of the Christian church. A couple of you, one of you say, hey, we're gonna, so we're going to start with Genesis 1 here. Um, and uh, I'll say more about that in a minute, but let's, let's begin with, uh, with prayer. Oh Lord, we implore you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. 
And because she cannot continue in safety without your aid, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so um, we're going to take a look at what you might say some of the more or most uh, influential texts from Genesis in the history of the church. Where are you going to start? Where are you going to begin? you got to begin with the beginning. Uh, so today's task is Genesis 1, 1 to 5. Somebody out there at Coffee Hour said, hey, haven't we studied this before? I said, that's right. You know, we should never study it again. No, I'm just kidding. But it wouldn't kill you to, have to take a look at this once every couple of years. It was a couple of years ago we did a top 40 text, and we started with this text. So you've maybe heard me on this text before. Um, but we have to start here. This is, uh, this is very rich, and this is something that can't, like any other, can't really be exhausted. Just for fun, I did bring along uh, a good old pal, St. Augustine, just in case things get a little boring with me. I've got, there's some passages in there that we might uh, hear a little bit later. But nonetheless, first thing first, and that is this text uh, to consider, Genesis 1, 1 to 5. I like to, some of you know this, some of you have kind of listened to me for years here, I like to first have somebody read the text so that we hear it out loud and kind of think about it in that way. And then um, I'll pose some, some questions, offer some thoughts, and we'll kind of, you'll get, a, you'll get a feel for things. Please feel free to chime in at any time. Questions, comments are always welcome throughout the whole thing. We're supposed to go to, to 11.45 just for what it's worth. and. Um, and uh, I hardly ever end at that time. So, <laughs> so how about a volunteer for these first five verses? Yeah, Raymond, take us away there. Thanks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Thanks, Raymond. Okay, so obviously, uh, maybe a familiar text, right? We've heard this before, very uh, foundational, a lot of ways. This will be echoed, as it were, throughout the scriptures. You can kind of think, as you hear this, heavens and earth, for example, That'll be picked up in the prophets. It'll be in the Psalms. They'll preach about it. They'll teach about it and so on. They'll sing about it. They'll write hymns about it. They'll write poetry about it. heavens and earth, light, darkness, and so on. So a big and, and foundational text. I've been teaching this over the years, and uh, one of the things I like to kind of, I just put forward, I guess, to the student who's had lots of experience with this text or zero experience with this text, is that the text presses us to think not only about creation, but also about salvation. And one thing I don't want you to forget, and this is usually what I try to, to keep central with my students throughout the years, and it actually kind of happens anyway as, they, as this thing works on them and kind of fun to watch, and that is there's a, lot more about, there's a lot more in this text about salvation than there is creation. I'll just kind of put that out there. That might sound a little odd to you at first. Maybe that sounds obvious to you. Maybe you're somewhere in between on all that. But there's a lot more about salvation than creation, okay? And why is that? Well, first things first, let's start with the beginning. I suppose the Bible could begin with what? God created the heavens and the earth. What's the difference of beginning the Bible with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Yeah, go ahead. It shows that God began 
Okay, so we have a we have a temporal aspect. You said time. Instead of just God created heavens and the earth, it's in the beginning God created the heavens. Now, so okay, so somebody's thinking time. Why else might that be important? Go ahead. There's a what? Is if you say beginning, do you imply an end? Is this for something? I'm bored and I want to do something. I started this project. I don't know if I'll finish it. <laughs> I don't have to. Well, maybe if you use the, you know, the start or the beginning of something, you have in mind a very clear end. A telos is a fancy Greek word for that, like a purpose or a goal toward which this beginning is aimed. It's not meaningless, everything from here on out. Nothing is just a haphazard detail if it's, this is the start and I have an end in mind. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Uh, kind of the, the other side of that coin, there's, you know, there's an end to this, but it says in the beginning God created. This says that God is Okay. If you, what's the beginning for God? Or to say in the beginning you're implying something about the nature and character of God, right? What's God's beginning? Or if it's, if it's in the beginning, God, what's God's beginning? Why aren't you talking about God's beginning? Does he have a beginning, right? You're saying in the beginning God created something. So this also teaches something about, about his nature, about his, what kind of deity Again, if you just read first impression, open the Bible. Hey, never read the Bible. What is this indicating about the kind of God we're working with? In the beginning, God. What's God's beginning? (laughs) Tell me more about his beginning. Not there. But in the beginning, he created. You do need to know that. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, also, uh, it's helpful to think of it as a story of salvation. that it has a beginning and it's going to have an end. But often we concentrate on the beginning of the material world. And there's also a sense that this is the beginning before all thought. Sure. You know, so there's a, there's a sense where it's not just about the material, but before you can ever think about anything else, God was creating. You know, you could say in the beginning of time. You brought up time, right? But it doesn't say in the beginning of time, even though, of course, you know, you're reading that thinking, probably in the beginning of time, but it doesn't say time. It just says in the beginning. And here we're thinking in the beginning of time, in the beginning of thought, before thought, in the beginning of material stuff, physical reality, before physical stuff, material reality. In the beginning, insert whatever you want there. In the beginning, right? You could say time, in the beginning of time, but have a little different effect to just say, in the beginning. Are you thinking time? Are you thinking thought? Are you thinking material world? Are you thinking purpose or telos or end or goal? Are you thinking something about the nature of character of God? In the beginning. Okay, God created. What else is the beginning? Kind of an important point. Yeah. We've kind of heard, okay, so you're thinking, wait a minute, I've read this text, and I know in the New Testament there's a book called John, and it's in the beginning was, was the word. Beginning is also, primarily, we should say, beginning is first and foremost, a person. Beginning is a person. In this person. God created the heavens and the earth. Through this person, God created the heavens and the earth by means of working with the agency of the beginning. 
God created the heavens and the earth. This wasn't lost on our Jewish friends, by the way, who had a full account of this long before John authored that gospel. God looked into the Torah and he created the world. The word was there long before the creation of the world. So when John says the word was with God, they would say, yeah, we know that. We actually came up with that, John. But if he says the word became flesh, we're in a different ballgame, right? In fact, even some, we know this from Jerome, some early manuscripts of Genesis 1 read, in the sun, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Dr. Vietz. Right. And in our account, God creates light. He says, let there be light. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit uh, about the light that's created and how that connects to Christ. How, how does that relate? Uh, how, does, how does the light relate between Genesis and God? Um, St. Augustine, you want to take that? Sure. Well, the thing is, we in Genesis 1 have more than just historical reportage going on. When you say, in him was light, you said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Again, you could say, our Jewish friends would say, in the beginning was the Torah, and the Torah was with God, and by means of the Torah, God created the world. And in the Torah was light, and so on. Okay, now, God became flesh. That word is the light. And that means that the light, so just as the beginning in verse 1, so let me just do this and we can say more about it if you'd like. Just as the beginning of verse 1 is a lot more than just like, well, maybe that's just the start in time and that's it. Not to say that it doesn't include that, our friend here, right? Uh, so also is the light of day 1. Again, there's no sun around and all this sort of thing. The light, the let there be light, is a lot more than just what moves around at 186,000 miles per second. Is that right? Thank you very much. He teaches physics, by the way. If you want a good modern physics class, is this the time to plug? That's right. The light is a lot more than just turning on the light switch, John says in John 1. In him was light. A let there be light is, you might say, let the divine plan in my son move toward its culmination. I have already had this. It's in the word, which is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will remain forever. Let there be light. Let this plan A of salvation unfold. Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, right? There's a, you might say, to fancy terms, um, ontology is governing chronology here. Time is not in the driver's seat here. I have a plan. and Let that be. Okay? As opposed to creation is this thing. It's great and it's plan A. And oh my goodness, I didn't see this happening. <laughs> it didn't go well and I needed to come up with something else. And this was just a side project. Um, and this is where Augustine, I think, is helpful. I think um, we have kind of a hit and miss relationship with Augustine because he does some strange things in Genesis 1. He likes allegories in places that maybe make us squirmish. Um, 
are the animals really the impulses of the soul and all of these things? And yet what his underlying conviction was is, is that if the beginning is a person that changes everything, that changes what the light is, for example, um, your question, and I am trying to find, it's right here. Listen to this. In this beginning, you made heaven and earth, O God. You made them in your word, your son, your power, your wisdom, your truth, wonderfully speaking and in a wondrous way creating. Who can understand this? Who can explain it? What is this light that shines through the chinks of my mind and pierces my heart? I begin to shudder yet catch fire with longing. I shudder inasmuch as I am unlike him, yet I am a fire with longing for him because some likeness there is. Wisdom it is, none other than wisdom that shines through my darkness, tearing apart the cloud that envelopes me, yet I fall away from it and I'm plunged into obscurity once more, lost in the murk and rubble that are my punishment, for so wasted away is my strength to the point of destitution that I cannot even support the good that I have until you, O Lord, who are mercifully disposed toward all my sins, heal my ailments too. And I know you will, for you rescue my life from decay, crown me in pity and mercy, and overwhelmingly satisfy my desire with good things. My youth will be renewed like an eagle's. We are already saved, but in hope and in patience we look forward to the fulfillment of your promises. The wisdom here is no other than the beginning, and in that beginning you have made heaven and earth. He's convinced that this let there be light is primarily about how God saves and continues to do so even now in our lives, would be the point. Go ahead, Latif. Uh, if I could just um, undermine this point of yours. Sure. Seeing this as a person, you bring up uh, John's prologue. So, to be even more to the point, in his other great book, um, The Apocalypse. Yeah. This is, this is our Lord's uh, self-reference. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. The beginning. Paul is the same. Um, Colossians 1 18 in the Greek is he is RK. He is RK. I don't even have a definite article there, I don't think. He is RK. Greek word for beginning. RK, arch, think beginning, top, head, chief. He is RK. And of course, in the Revelation, we have he is the Alpha and the Omega, <laughs> Greek letters, right? Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. Um, and that changes everything. That means, and I, what I like about Augustine is the underlying conviction that God creates in a way that shows how he's going to save. It's plan A from the get-go. Let there be light in the midst of darkness is the same thing, Dr. Veeds, as the psalmist praying, the Lord God lightens my darkness. Now think carefully about that psalm and why he's using those words. Where'd you get that vocabulary from? The Lord God lightens my darkness. Right. Right. One verse three is not just, there was like this big light switch that turned on, that's all you need to know. He has in mind how he will save you when he says, let there be light. 
Okay, other thoughts on, or did I miss any other hands on like the, beginning is a very rich word, like this, it's the same word, but Dean, maybe you know this, this is maybe obvious, the, in the, the word is rosh or reshit, it means head, the first of something, in the, he will crush your beginning. Think of the promise after the fall. He will, you will bruise his heel. He will crush your beginning. It's done. And then what do we do? The Tower of Babel wants the, you know, the, the uh, tower with the beginning in the heavens. Can we get the beginning in the heavens again like Genesis 1-1? How do we return to Genesis 1-1? Let's build a tower with its beginning in the heavens. You know, this, it's very rich. Jacob's ladder, here's the true beginning. It's a ladder that comes to you not your way up and so on. Yes, please, go ahead. Yeah, I like the, the <laughs> our Jewish friends made a big deal of, of uh, in the Torah, God created. Torah was long before the creation. And he said, the beginning is a word that is it, that means Torah, that it's the same word that's in Proverbs 8 for someone with God from eternity. But also they saw the language used for Israel. In Jeremiah, the beginning of God's first fruits is his people. And so both are spoken of as beginning. Beginning is the word and beginning is my people. And that's exactly the kind of language that we'll get in the New Testament when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. No, no, no. You're the light of the world, <laughs> right? John's gospel, I am the light of the world. And then he preaches a sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the light of the world. I guess our life is in him, the one who is the beginning, which means that this isn't just some sort of like crazy historical report, even though this doesn't deny historicity or anything like that. It means this has something to do with not only the beginning, but all those who live and believe and have their, their being in this one who is the beginning. It's your story, too, that is here. It's the story of the church. It's the story of Israel. It's the story of everything as he creates. And that's what Augustine was, as much as he pushes things, and that's its own kind of discussion as to why he's doing what he's doing, I think he was, at the end of the day, just adoring it in every way he could with the allegorical stuff that makes us uncomfortable. But he was convinced that underneath this was, this is not just 6 o'clock news, He's creating in a way that, that tells us how he's saving from the get-go. Yeah, go ahead, Isaac, and keep going around here. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, For he chose us in him, in Christ, right. before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Right. And then going down to verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Bring all well said. I think there's, uh, yeah, in Ephesians 1, just the notion of this predestined or prepared beforehand 
right? Well, what was, I thought, you know, this is all there is. There's a lot more going on there in God's plan of salvation. And Paul, and that's a very rich chapter, right, dealing with that very point. Some of the, like Irenaeus comes to mind, some of the patristic, the early church fathers um, were big on this. Irenaeus kind of popularized it, but the notion of recapitulation, recapping in Christ the entire story in a much greater way. He's the head, right? Um, which is itself really, to say he's the head of the body, he, that's the word. Beginning means head. He's the, he's the rosh in Hebrew. He's the head. By whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation, as we just confess. Go ahead, Latif. Did I see you? Is each end of days related to this beginning? Is the ancient of days related to this beginning? <sighs> yeah, ancient of days is, what would you say? Nomenclature that temporality in a transcendent way you might say um, alpha and omega maybe would be similar that's using letters of the alphabet to say something about eternality and something okay so ancient of days what's a day well I don't know I guess it's isn't it 24 hours or something ancient of days if you could fathom all days and beyond that um, I suppose yeah I'd have to think more about how much illusion is in you know when you have a, a later even as God reveals his proper name, Yahweh, to what extent this, this name is evocative of what he did in creation with the being that he brought into existence by saying, let there, let there be light. So it's just kind of a, everything's going to be related at some level. It's just how, what level of relationship between ancient of days and the days that are mentioned in Genesis 1 is a good thing, to, I think, to ponder. I don't just have to think about that a little bit. What, did I see other hands or were there? Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Create, I mean, that's another, these are some big hitter terms. First seven words of the Bible, create um, heavens and earth, two things, right? Not one, could create just one thing. But there's two things, heaven and earth, okay. Why not just one thing? <laughs> Two things. One's plural, one's singular. Heavens, earth. Heavens, only one earth. Maybe a special place in this whole plan, you know? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I want to jump ahead a little bit to the next verse, which maybe sure. clarifies that. Uh, I'm just trying to work out the, the language that appears of the, the earth was void. How does it go? Tohu It's yeah, a fun yeah. phrase, yeah. Okay, but, but that language of um, empty, the earth was empty, and the Greek is unseen. Oh, okay. Which is the language that appears in the Nicene Creed. Visible and invisible. The, the visible and invisible. And so the language there in the Greek, which doesn't really appear anywhere else in the, from the Septuagint, hmm. other than in Isaiah, 
45. Cre 45 about creation. I didn't create it empty. Yeah, but it's um, it's the, the invisible stuff. Yeah. So that there's a way in which the earth is not to be understood. I think I had thought about it as he creates the physical earth and then he creates the heavens, which is kind of that invisible world. But the language, at least as the Greeks are interpreting the Hebrew, mm -hmm. is that the earth itself was, before it was fully shaped, was invisible. What do you do? <laughs> Things invisible and invisible of the of the earthly realm. <laughs> of the earthly realm, there's yeah. something there where within yeah. that, or at least that seems to be what they want. They want to interpret that that emptiness as right. So that there's, I don't know what else it would say other than that the creation itself is so multi-layered. Mm -hmm. that we're not just talk. I think we want to talk again about that material so much. Like, what does he do with the material? Right. When I think the scriptures leave that as there are things that he has created that you don't know about mm -hmm. or can't see with the, with the eye. It's a strange, it's a strange phrase. Tohu vavohu is how, is what the, the earth, okay, so we have heavens and earth. What gets the focus right away? between heavens and earth. Tell me more about the heavens, right? And their angels and, you know. No, what you have to know next is more about the earth. I have only one earth. Heavens, plural, but I have only one earth. And in this earth is what? Tohu vavohu, which is like a, yeah. Um, without form and void, I think is what the ESV does. But uh, there is this, is this just material? Dr. Lane's point I take to be this kind of, is this just material? If you look at Isaiah 45, verse, I think, 18. Isaiah 45. It's actually three, is that right? Okay, yeah. Point out, let me know what you're seeing, too. Yeah, darkness. Okay. Yeah, you know, actually throughout this chapter is quite a bit, isn't there? Um... If you go to Isaiah 45, 3, yeah, the treasures of darkness, hordes, and secret places. 18 is what actually uses the language. Secret places is the, the Greek. I oh, it's the Greek for invisible. For invisible, the secret places. I see. Is that language also in 18? I don't believe so. Okay. The Hebrew word for this void is, is used again in 18. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Yeah, let me know what you see there. The point would be what? As you're reading this opening line of the Bible, the earth is without form and void, empty and dark. So we have it's empty and it's void and it's dark first. It won't end up there. But that's where we're starting, and that's, so one thing you could do is just, I created a fully formed bright earth. Done. Let there be full formed bright earth, Let, and there was a fully formed bright earth. But it starts with this, this business of it's chaos, so vain or empty. Where's the substance, or what's the, what's the thing that fills it? So visible, invisible, and not fully filled or formed. Go ahead. 
that when God created the physical earth, there were waters on the earth because the, the text says that the earth was had no form and it was void. Right. So that would indicate there was nothing. Right. And then it said, and the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Mm -hmm. Do the waters refer to earth or do they refer to something else? Were the, the waters in a secret place with, with God or were they on an invisible earth somewhere? It's a great question. It's a great. It's, that, it's like, a great question. About, like in verse six, like separating the water. Correct. And it talks about um, in two, like earth being formless. So it could have just been like the the waters, like it wasn't like low shaped waters. It could have just been like there was water stuff around. Watery stuff. Like watery the, places. Um. It's a great. It's it doesn't have to be like liquid water. It could have been like gaseous water. He won't be done with the water. He'll divide that, and he'll have more to do with the water. The relationship between the water and the emptiness is a great question. You can see various approaches throughout the. Again, our the Jewish Rashi in the medieval was big on. He was big on saying there was water. How can there be water already when you just told us it was empty and void? He said there must have been water created before that. And that's giving us out of, out of chronological order, something like that. You know, that kind of thing. But it amazes me. Let's just maybe start with this. It amazes me how much we're not told. <laughs> because, okay, this is, there's an emptiness or, a, or a, yeah, a lack of substance without void, without form, and dark. And yet, some sort of water exists in conjunction with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God which is certainly must be holy, okay, right? Holy Spirit. Um, that's what we have to know, that there is water that exists and the Spirit is with that water and that void and dark stuff won't stay void and dark. <laughs> now for Augustine, it was, this tells us, again, something about salvation. We heard in the sermon, there are two, you can't serve two masters, right? That's absolutely right. For Augustine, the whole water business was showing us about our two loves. He said, the one love is downward in the chaos of what is nothing. What drives us into nothingness, the chaos, think unformed, formless, void, the stuff that leads to death. And think of the Psalms, language of water in the Psalms. I sink deep in the mire, all your breakers and waves are going over me. Water is destructive. It's the stuff of death, it's the stuff that we lean toward unless the Holy Spirit draws us up by means of that same element, baptismal language, and so on. So it was something to Augustine about, okay, I don't know what kind of, where this water exists in relation to the empty stuff, <laughs> or when it came about in relation to the empty stuff. But this does say something about the working of God through water to save us out of the chaotic, destructive water that we, that we find ourselves in when we run toward nothingness. You know, and that's, and that's as far as the text for him goes. And if we say, well, no, I got, I got to know more about that. Well, as pertains to your salvation, this is what you got to know. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing. It's just sort of, yeah, go, Dr. Veets, go ahead. I've made him wait for a while. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, uh, Dr. Patterson. Well, I 
I'm just thinking about your study of Revelation when you talked a lot about there's either this or that. Yes. And so here I'm thinking there's either you know the water that destroys and the water that saves. There's yeah. the void and there's the fullness. Right. Right. Well, one thing that you, you have to grant here as you read into this, okay, the earth is without form, void and dark, and you know, the visible, invisible, there's an emptiness there. But what does he do? Let there be light. What you need to know is, yes, I realize that this is empty, void, and dark, but it does not stay that way. It will not because of what I do for it. Now, why don't you just start that way? No, you got to know that it started dark. It started empty. It started in a terrible place, as it were. I was just kind of drawing on Augustine here. And I could create in a lot of ways, but this manner of creating tells you something about what I do. Again, just to reflect on your question in Augustine, is to tell you something about how I work on you. You will be in darkness. You will be empty and void or chasing after the things that draw away from what truly is um, the substance of who God is as he reveals his name. I am who I am. I am the one who is and will be. Revelation has been and so on. And so he says, let there be light to show his primary work, not just I have a side project of creation, but this is exactly how I save in all times and places. Go ahead, Raymond. You might be able to make a good connection with this and communion, how bread and wine, they're just bread and wine. Yeah. Unless you have the word there with it. Yeah. Um, Hey, that Old Testament reading comes to mind, too. The widow has what? This came up in the sermon a little bit, too. The widow has flour and oil. That's it. One last meal, and she's dead. Um, this is the widow is Israel the widow is the church the widow has forsaken her husband who married her when she was brought out of Egypt and she has one last meal she's on the brink of death her future is done too her son's going to die and yet you hang around the prophet if you want life you hang around the prophets God sends the prophet and, and what do they have they have nothing but flour and oil liturgical offerings, the things of the divine service. That's all we have left. And what does he do? He gives her more of the same. You have nothing going on right now. You see the empty pews? You see the darkness in the church? You're on the brink of non-existent. Hey, isn't this a post-Christian culture? Don't you use that language? Here's Here's my flour and oil. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Yeah. Go ahead. So the darkness Well, what, what is the darkness? He creates, right, let there be light, but uh, why? he doesn't say let there be dark. He doesn't say that, that he created darkness, right? It's just there. Darkness is on the face of the deep. Now tell me more about this darkness. <laughs> no. <laughs> it just is there. Uh, but not for long. Like that's the thing about it is that it's going to be light. Uh, it's just there. There's darkness there, but it won't stay in that con- condition, that state. God brings light into it. That's what you got to know. And of course, there have been all sorts of questions about, well, what is this darkness, or how does, how does that 
And again, beginning as a person, light as that plan of salvation and so on, the one who is the light of the world and so on, darkness, you might say, is... I mean, it's a fascinating thing to teach this over the years, and even students with no experience in Bible, they hear that and they say, it doesn't sound good. I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. It does not sound good. In darkness, kind of not... I mean, lights are off, scary or whatever. Darkness, isn't that evil? In darkness, evil? I don't know. Never studied Bible, isn't it evil? You, you're, on, you're on a good track there. Think about that. Um, it's a kind of, what could we say, placeholder for what is not the light or what resists the light, or what won't come into fulfillment of the light. Keep going, yeah. Well, and there's no fall of mankind yet, either. Correct. There's just the assertion that darkness existed here, and that's what the Lord works with to bring about and put light into. Um, there's more, darkness is mentioned first, before light. And yet light triumphs. It's mentioned so much more. The light, let there be light. He saw the light was good. What do you see? What does that say about the darkness if he thinks the light is good, right? That kind of thing. And he separates multiple times. This will not be that. Um, go ahead. Well, so both in like the physical sense and the like spiritual sense, like darkness is just the absence of light. Like we don't measure, like we can measure light, like kind of like how it travels and all that. But, like darkness is right. just the absence of light. And similarly, like spiritually, I guess like the darkness here can just be like more. It's like the absence of things rather than like. Something that needed to be created or it's like I, physical or I hear you in the in the same step in the v- same vein as Augustine when he talked about a about it being a deprivation of the good or a deprivation of the light. It represents what is not not light. What are you saying? There are things that you're about to do that is that even possible? Can you form a a, a bright creation and things not be in that light? Um is, will there be a turning from the light? Can there be a resistance to the light? A turn toward non-existence, the darkness of nothingness. A, a thing that it doesn't have a substance or a kind of, I'm looking at Andy there, an ontological you know, content it, for our philosophers there. It, it's a, yeah, what is it? What does it have? What is it? It's not a thing per se, but yet it's not the light. It's not light though. It's granting that there's a not light reality, a not light something. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Well, I'm thankful for this perspective. I came a little late, but um, just putting in context this creation account in a bigger picture of the plan of salvation is very helpful because it's there's often that thing where people say, oh, it was like an accident that we fell into sin, and now we've got to come around with plan B, and maybe I'll send Jesus to didn't see it coming, yeah. Uh, but so I was just thinking about this darkness and the light and the darkness that was there, and the light comes into it, and then the new creation, which seems to be demonstrably different with its account. That's right, in Revelation. Revelation. Uh, there. What's the light? The new creation, there is no darkness. No darkness at all. Right. Um, the, they will need no no have no need of lamp nor sun nor moon or anything. And what you said about the, the Lord God the will be. Of the darkness will be crushed. So. Right. Yeah, and this is, you brought up John 1, the light that no darkness can overcome. Please. I was just thinking about the light. Yes. Physics and the dark objects are absorbing the light. Yes. Yeah, what? So, right, all the light phases are absorbed. You don't see anything, it doesn't reflect. Yes. So, and he says that God separated darkness from light. Right. 
separated, right. it makes me see that they were together. You know, this word separate is in Genesis 1 quite a bit, that God distinguishes, he pulls apart. This, I, it's a rich, like in the history of Bible to talk about being set, God's people are separated, they're set apart, I've set you apart. Um, Paul picks up on this, I've been Pharisee'd apart, Pharisee to be a separate one. You've been, you've been set apart, called from eternity. You've been set apart. Well, that implies there's something from which you've been <laughs> separated, right? Now, what is the other thing, and why are you allowing that in your plan and all of these things? It's to, it's, I like the way you're thinking. It's, there's a, in God's plan of salvation will involve a setting apart. That, um, we know will come at a great cost. But that separating starts already right here. That light will have no fellowship with darkness. <laughs> and all the other language in the scriptures that bear witness to that separation. What fellowship has Christ with Belial and so on? Um, yeah, go ahead, Andy and others. Yeah, right. 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 That's right. That's right. There is, I suppose you could say, um, yeah, tohu vavo, it's two words, not just one. Empty is there. Like there's no content, as it were. There's no substance. If it's just void and empty. But at the same time, that other word has connotations elsewhere in the Bible as, as uh, chaos or disorder. Disorder. So what does exist is not orderly. So God not only fills a thing, but orders a thing. That's, is that, that's, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going with the word form. If there is like a ontological reading of that, could it be like, like ordering of like we, we have our being in Is that ordering of our being as well? Well, Yes, uh, the, in the waters in particular, for Augustine it certainly was. It was the, the Holy Spirit. So this is, we're drawn kind of by our own weight toward disorder or toward the chaos of, you know, these kind of self-defeating desires. It's, it's, it's our sinful flesh, two loves or so on. We, we're drawn toward that. Unless the Holy Spirit, and the word there is like flutters. It's, it's, it's a weird word. It's used only a couple times. It's like a bird over her hen. That's the relationship between God's spirit and the water. The chaotic, disorderly stuff. That's where the Holy Spirit spends all of the Holy Spirit's time. Working with the chaos and the destruction, the stuff that leads toward death and disorder, draws you toward, toward the light and so on. Augustine, again, Augustine's kind of fresh in mind here. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Lane, and then we'll go back here. So... In a, somewhat of a similar way or a parallel where you hear things like the feeding of the 5,000 and the bread of life discourse out of John. Right. When Christians write that or, or Christians hear that, they think immediately of their particular context. Yeah. Which is life in the church. Yeah, right. Jesus is the bread of life. That's right. Receive the sacrament. And that's all right. All that's very present to me. Um, it occurs to me also with 
the language that we get later on in Exodus and Leviticus, that there is certainly some connections here to how they interpreted the temple life mm-hmm. through this account. That's right. And that's I'm right. Thinking of the mercy seat and God's presence over the mercy seat as being described as a kind of darkness or uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the that if God is in the beginning then there is a point where he is the one who is both light and darkness and then for his creation separates mm-hmm. oh, there's just well yeah there's a lot you dwell in darkness thick clouds and the envelope right. you this kind of Psalm 18 comes to mind he sits in darkness and yet brings light into it, or he has both light and dark. This is also Isaiah 45. He has both light and darkness. It's a verse seven is, I I form. Just look at. It. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord. I form light and create darkness. Like, what? But both things are in my hands, and I will then separate. And so it's not like you know that darkness of Genesis 1:3 that somebody noticed. I had no idea where that came from. I've got nothing to, you know, that kind of thing. It's, I have that in my realm too, even as I separate and, you know, do the plan. Well, and because of this, therefore, it it cuts out, uh, even though we're not talking about it in this context, but it cuts out all sorts of other notions of of dualism or right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is old pagan. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Still somewhat attractive to folks. Mm -hmm. Um, but you just see the, the biblical text is handing everything over. The very start of all things is in him. That's right. That's right. Even the stuff that's hard to understand or the empty or the dark, the whole, even just think about these five, first five verses. It starts empty, but it goes to being full. It starts void or disorderly. It's going to be ordered. It starts dark. It's going to light. What's mentioned first? Evening. Yeah, but I know morning is coming right. Like it's gonna, It starts here, but it goes to... Right, and all of that is in his hands as he does that work. There is no opposite to God, as in some other rival God or um, even the devil. Of course, God is God; he has no opposites. The devil's a fallen angel, and so on. So it's yeah. Uh, go ahead, and then and then Doctor P there. Okay, you're good. Then, um, <laughs> we gotta stop. I, uh, I, in the separation of the light and the darkness. Yes. And Right. But then a couple of verses later, it you know on the fourth day God right. creates the Sun. night and the daytime. So why or how could the first day be night and day if God had not separated the light from the darkness yet? Um. The separation of light from darkness is here, right? Verse 4. Is that what you're... Am I missing you? God saw that the light was good. So he looks on his creation, sees that it's good. He separates light from darkness here on day one. I think she's talking about verse 18. Verse 18. It's talking about the sun and the moon. God set them in the vault. Yes. Great. Great. What kind of... What kind of day is day one, right? We okay. Yeah, sun fine. comes on day four, so now you tell me what kind of day day one is. <laughs> yeah. No sun. Now tell me. You know, right? That kind of thing. Keep yeah. going. Oh, so yeah, like like she said in the verse eighteen, uh, he gave to rule over the day and over the night to separate the light. 
Great. The darkness. Great. So is, is that referring to the creation of the sun or the moon or the creation of 24-hour days where there's a period of time with light and a period of time with darkness? So and what kind of light and darkness made the first day? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they used to throw chairs over this quite a bit because the light of day one, there's no sun. What do you, how do you, what do you, what can you say about the day of day one? No sun, and what's the light of day one, and so on. Especially if on day four, there's a further distinction between light and dark in the luminaries, the celestial bodies, the stuff that, the sun, moon, and stars, and so on. What that indicates, okay, now, the one question is what's the light of day one then, and then, the, here's what, we'll just put it this way, because it's a huge discussion about, okay, days and so on. Days one, two, and three parallel day four, five, and six. One to four, what this suggests is that in day one is a separation of light from darkness that we've talked about. In day four is a reflection of the separate, further separating, a reflection of that separating of light and darkness, even in these realms of sun, moon, stars, and so on. So the separation between light and darkness that you witness, albeit now in a fallen creation, which is a totally different bird in many ways, even as there's continuity there, and it's a, we'll maybe talk more about that as when we get into chapter three and so on, but what you see in any separation between light and darkness from here on out testifies to the greatest separation between light and darkness that even the orderly creation, even if you think days and seasons, that's the word that's used the first time, days is plural, days and create season, let them be for times and seasons. That means all of time and its seasons and everything else in the bucket of chronology is bearing witness to an even greater separation between light and darkness that was witnessed on day one. Let's just put that relationship there. We'll mull that over uh, uh, and then maybe we'll pick that up again on, on Genesis 3, Dr. Yeah, P. That so okay, go ahead. Or then, uh, and then we're going to... Any similarity between a term like four and two and image and one and six? Uh, image, likeness, and form. Start next week's class with that. Pastor Larson's going to study that text. He's going to do Genesis, the image and likeness. Um... I'm gonna let him. I'm gonna let him handle that. I don't want to get in trouble here. I told him, 11:45. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Isn't that cool? Marvelous. Yeah, that's right. Seems like there's something significant there. Things being That's right. Think again about the significance of God forming things invisible and visible. You might say here, right? A spiritual chaos, or you know, that kind of thing. Um, witnessed already in the creation of humanity, God working through what is formless or not in the form that it should be and yet he brings that about sometimes in a very earthly kind of dirt under the fingernails kind of way 
with humanity. I'm going to get dirty, you know, as a kind of, as it were, for this one. That's how significant my forming is in this instance. Not to mention all the forming that I bring in chaos and disorder and so on as I forgive sins and bring life and order the love where it should be and so on. Okay, we're going to have to call it a day. Um, next week we're going to study the image of God. I think chapter 1, 26 to 28. Great to kind of get to know you, get to fire this up again, to be with you in this way. Um, so I look forward to seeing you again next week. Let's end with uh, a benediction. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us safely to everlasting life. Amen. Amen.